Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Okay, let's just go through some of what's been going on here. This is striking. Mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, came out and made a public statement. This is what he said. He said, one death is one death too many. Join me by denouncing all violence. And then he tells the story of what happened here in Portland. He said, yesterday's event began with hundreds of cars filled with supporters of the president rallying and driving through downtown Portland. They were supported and energized by the president himself. President Trump, for four years, we have had to live with you and your racist attacks on black people. We learned early about your sexist attitudes toward women. We've had to endure clips of you mocking a disabled man. We've had to listen to your anti-democratic attacks on journalists. We've read your tweets slamming private citizens to the point of receiving death threats, and we have listened to your attacks on immigrants. We have listened to you label Mexicans as rapists. We've heard you say that John McCain wasn't a hero because he was a prisoner of war. And now you're attacking Democratic mayors and the very institutions of democracy that have served this nation well since its founding. This is a statement by the mayor of Portland, Oregon, Ted Wheeler. It is you, President Trump, who have created the hate and the division. It's you who have not found a way to say the names of black people killed by police officers, even as people in law enforcement have. It's you who claimed that white supremacists are good people. Your campaign of fear is anti-democratic of anything you have done to create hate and vitriol in our country. You've tried to divide us more than any other figure in modern history. And now you want me to stop the violence that you helped create? What America needs is for you to be stopped so that we can come back together as one America while recognizing that we must demand that all people, black, brown, white, every color from every political persuasion, pull together and hold all the people accountable in stopping racism and violence. We together are peaceful again under new leadership that reflects who we really are. We, the people of this great nation. President Trump, you bring no peace. You bring no respect to our democracy. You, Mr. President, need to do your job as the leader of this nation. I, Mr. President, will do my job as the mayor of this city. We will both be held accountable as we should. I'm calling out every other elected official in Oregon to join me not only in defeating racism, but helping me to stop the violence as we are and will continue to be held accountable by all of our residents. So that was our mayor saying, basically, yeah, quit stirring things up. And Donald Trump freaks out. He sends off this bizarre tweet. Ted Wheeler, the Iraqi radical left do-nothing Democrat mayor of Portland, uh, he goes, uh, who has watched great death and destruction in his city during his tenure, thinks this lawless situation should go on forever. No, that's the exact opposite of what Ted Wheeler just said. And then Trump goes on, Portland will never recover with a fool for a mayor. He tried mixing with the agitators and anarchists and they mocked him. He would like to blame me and the federal government for going in, but he hasn't seen anything yet. 
So now we're being threatened by the president of the United States who wants to have war in the streets because he thinks it's going to help him get elected. As Sarah Burris notes over at rawstory.com, by May 2020, there have been at least 54 times in which Donald Trump has incurred violence, threats, and assaults. He's doing it because if he stokes violence, he can claim that without him, the violence will continue. Meanwhile, this new report came out. This is by Michael German, a former FBI special agent who has written extensively about U.S. law enforcement. The report notes that over the years, police links to militias and white supremacist groups have been uncovered in Alabama, California, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Louisiana, Michigan, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas, Virginia, Washington, and West Virginia. Police in Sacramento, California, worked with neo-Nazis to pursue charges against anti-racist activists, including one who had been stabbed. And just this summer, he writes, an Orange County Sheriff's deputy with a Chicago policeman were caught wearing far-right militia logos. An Olympia, Washington officer was photographed posing with a militia group. And Philadelphia police officers were standing by while armed white mobs attacked protesters and journalists. He goes on to note, quote, the most violent elements within these far-right militia groups believe that their conduct is sanctioned by the government and by the police, and therefore they're far more willing to come out and engage in acts of violence against protesters. White vigilantes, it turns out, have always had friends among the police. In Bedford County, Pennsylvania, a white man opened fire on protesters, striking one in the face while police watched. A man in Iowa City allegedly drove his car into a crowd of protesters, later justified the attack by telling police that the protesters needed an attitude adjustment. I guess this is how you try to deal with contagious mental illness, is you put out an antidote to it. Joe Biden issued this over the weekend. He said the deadly violence we saw overnight in Portland is unacceptable. Shooting in the streets of a great American city is unacceptable. I condemn this violence unequivocally. I condemn violence of every kind by anyone, whether on the left or the right. And I challenge Donald Trump to do the same. Just think about that for a minute. We must not, says Vice President Biden, we must not become a country at war with ourselves a country that accepts the killing of federal Ameri- uh, fellow Americans who do not agree with you, a country that sows vengeance toward one another. But that is the America that tr- President Trump wants us to be, the America that he believes we are. He goes on to say, as a country, we must condemn the incitement of hate and resentment that led to this deadly clash. You know, here we are once again uh, pointing out that... that uh, well, in, you know, I, in a way, this is Joe Biden trying to say, no, we're going to stop this contagion, essentially. It is not a peaceful protest when you go out spoiling for a fight, says Vice President Biden. What does Donald Trump think, well, President Trump, think will happen when he continues to insist on fanning the flames of hate and division in our society and using the politics of fear to whip up his supporters? He's recklessly encouraging violence. He may believe tweeting about law and order makes him strong, but his failure to call in his supporters to stop seeking conflict shows just how weak he is. He may think that war in our streets is good for his reelection chances, but that is not presidential leadership or even basic human compassion. And then uh, Joe Biden goes on. He says the job of the president is to lower the temperature, to bring people who disagree with one another together to make life better for all Americans, not just those who agree with us, support us, or vote for us. Donald Trump, Joe Biden said, has been president for almost four years, and the temperature in this country is higher, tensions run higher, divisions run deeper, and all of us are less safe because Donald Trump can't do the job of the American president. Amen. I don't know know how to say it better. Uh, he, 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 uh, he goes on to say, it does not matter if you find the political views of your opponent abhorrent. Any loss of life is a tragedy. Today there is another family grieving in America, and Jill and I offer our deepest condolences. So Donald Trump goes out and spreads psychological poison. And 
from my own experience, what I'm seeing, you know, here in, here in Portland that I see in the news and here in Portland that I see just living here, is that people are just fried. They're just frazzled. They're freaking out. Louise and I just see this when we go on a walk. People just on the edge, like, you know, I dare you. Confront me about not wearing a mask. I dare you, for example. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. On the line with us is Alexander Reed Ross, a doctoral fellow at the Center for the Analysis of the Radical Right, adjunct professor at Portland State University, author of the book Against the Fascist Creep. His articles have appeared in The Independent, Zeit Haaretz, and others. Uh, A-R-E-I-D-R-O-S-S is his Twitter handle. Alexander, welcome to the program. Tell me about vigilantes and the police. So vigilantism is basically when people take police action into their own hands, even though they're not members of the police, so it's unofficial, they tend to either have a combative relationship with the police because they don't believe that the police are going far enough, or they are supported by the police and are able to do things that the police might not legally be able to do. What we're seeing today is more the latter than the former. Now, we had arguably vigilante groups in the American South from before the founding of our republic up until after the Civil War. They were referred to as slave patrols. Patrick Henry famously and loudly defended them in the Virginia Ratifying Convention in 1789. And then after the Civil War, the slave patrols were dissolved and basically replaced by the Klan. To what extent is modern-day vigilantism grounded in that 300-year racist history here in the United States? Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely a part of the founding myth of the United States, especially the American West. The idea of kind of vigilante justice, posse comitatus, like you said, the Klan in its first, second, and third manifestations. I mean, I don't think it's controversial to say that vigilantism is sort of at the root of American nationalism. How different is the modern day vigilante and militia movement from that of, say, 50 years ago? It's it's not that different. People are talking about invoking the Insurrection Act right now because they want to intervene against liberal cities, whereas 50, 60 years ago, they were invoking the Insurrection Act because the federal government was intervening in the segregationist South in order to integrate schools. So it seems at this point that the shoe is in some ways on the other foot, that Trump is reversing the entire civil rights movement that followed World War II. And this is also similar to his efforts in foreign policy, the reversal of the post-war liberal world system. We're talking with Alexander Reed Ross, his book Against the Fascist Creep. Alexander, what do we know about the relationship between police departments and these vigilantes? We saw, you know, the 17-year-old kid who, who murdered two people in Kenosha, Wisconsin last week, being given water by the police. We heard the police uh, on various videos saying, you know, we really appreciate your being here. Thank you. We heard some members of one of these vigilante groups saying the police told us to hang out here because they're going to kettle people and drive them. The protesters drive them toward us and then and then we can kick the crap out of them. We saw this happen here in Portland for, I think it was three hours. The police, you know, just let this fight go on as long as the vigilantes were winning anyway. How pervasive is this? It's hard to say. I've documented at least two dozen incidents of the police just actively supportive, if not collaborating directly with the vigilante groups. And the vigilante groups are there to intimidate protesters. So in a lot of cases, we're seeing tacit collaboration. And I think this goes straight to the heart of the entire point of the back of the blue theme. The far right is actively working to infiltrate the police. And this is a prime moment for them to do that by politically supporting them and in doing so developing closer relationships with them. So even in the case where there isn't any direct intimidation, you can find far right activists taking selfies with police at back the blue protests or yeah, rallies. So, again, we've 
Yeah, we've seen this here in Portland as well. I mean, you know, you've got police forces that are well integrated, that have people of color, Hispanics, blacks in them. Are there any good examples of police forces that have rejected this or walked back from this or walked away from this? I think that there have been a couple, for sure. There have been a, a few examples of the police sort of marching with the protesters and making an effort to sort of tamp down the opposition forces by arresting some of their members. But in many cases, this is sort of a superficial thing. And in many cases, the uh, sort of defund the police groups are not particularly interested in collaborating with the police to the extent, especially not to the extent that the Back the Blue groups are. So I think that this has a bias potential. What needs to be done about this, Alexander? I mean, that's really uh, a complicated question. I think that what doesn't need to be done is fueling more and more violence by meeting protesters with tremendous amounts of violence. Like you mentioned, Portland, we've seen this for the last couple of months now. Police have maintained a pretty consistent level of violent attacks, declaring protests riots. This is all sort of feeding into the right-wing hysteria about Portland being a place that's being ripped apart by riots every day all over the place, which is just factually incorrect. So I think right. that if the police tried to work with the protesters more, if there were political solutions that are readily available, I think that the protesters have have pretty clear demands. You can negotiate and work with those demands without brutalizing people in the streets. So I think we have to start with a major decrease in the tensions in this country that are brought about by the incredible amounts of violence that I've personally witnessed. And yet we're seeing the exact opposite of this right now. You've got Donald Trump going to Kenosha, Wisconsin to meet not with the family of Mr. Blake, who was murdered, but instead with the apparently with the police maybe vigilante groups. I mean, God only knows. How does this weave into American history? Have we reacted against this sort of thing in the past? I mean, I'm thinking of the mid-60s when the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act were passed. You know, it was in the tail end of federal forces being called out to integrate schools in the United States. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of anger. And yet, you know, we seem to push through that with Lyndon Johnson's leadership. You know, a guy who was acknowledged as kind of a, an old time racist politician, but he turned a new leaf. Is that the sort of thing that we need to be doing here? I think that it's an interesting thing to look at the systems and the geographical systems that are in play. I mean, you can't forget that in the 1950s, there was this policy in the South of massive resistance against integration, right? So there were, there were massive riots, acts of violence against integration by racists. And what we're seeing in the Pacific Northwest here is sort of like a reversal of this, where racists are causing riots in liberal cities by basically invading them. And it's hard to say like what can happen with, as you mentioned, Trump in the White House, because the sort of Democratic Party, JFK, LBJ, the sort of reversal of roles there when the Republicans took on the Southern strategy, became kind of a bastion against of actually having Alexander Reed know, Ross is the author of uh, Against the Fascist Creep and you can find his articles online. Thank you, Alex. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The place where despair is not an option. So I spent a good chunk of this weekend with an absolutely extraordinary book. It is titled Hate Monger, the subtitle Stephen Miller, Donald Trump and the White Nationalist Agenda. And just dog-earing pages and marking stuff, it just blew my mind. If you want to understand Donald Trump, you have to understand Stephen Miller. And if you want to understand Stephen Miller, you need to read this book. Gene Guerrero wrote it. As I said, the title is Hate Monger, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, and the White Nationalist Agenda. Her website is Jean Guerrero, J-E-A-N-G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O.com, and her Twitter handle is J-E-A-N-G-U-E-R-R-E. Jean, welcome to the program. You have written a masterpiece. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us. So I used to debate David Horowitz on this program, and I gave up on it four or five years ago because he would just inject 
sometimes even outside the context of the debate, you know, these just insanely hateful statements that I was left with, you know, almost no response to, you know, really? I mean, how do you rebut some of these things? Radical Muslims want to come and burn your house down and rape your wife. Okay. Not that he literally said that in in exactly that way, but I mean, that sort of shocking stuff. I was astonished to see that he was the guy, he kind of brought Stephen Miller into his own. Tell me about that. Exactly. I mean, he became almost like a father figure to Stephen Miller when Stephen Miller was a teenager. Stephen Miller was going through a hard time. His family had had to move from a very affluent part of Santa Monica to a less affluent part. And Stephen Miller had to go to a very diverse public high school instead of a private high school the way that his younger brother later would. So he was feeling, you know, displaced. He was feeling angry. He was feeling lost. And this is when David Horowitz comes into his life and essentially introduces him to this fantasy that the United States faces certain destruction in the form of the Democratic Party partnering with Muslims and other, quote unquote, enemies of America who always happen to be people of color. And so, you know, he starts to invite well, Stephen Miller invites him to speak at his high school. David Horowitz starts to invite him to come to his house. They share ideas. And according to the private correspondence that I obtained for the book, David Horowitz played an instrumental role in Stephen Miller's career. I mean, he got him his first jobs in Congress. He directly shaped Trump's rhetoric and policies through Stephen Miller, including some of the most incendiary rhetoric, you know, describing inner cities as war zones or talking about radical Islam. This is a man, David Horowitz, as you know, he's a man who says that the only real racism in society is racism against white men and that, you know, people of color should be grateful to white men. And he insists that he is not a racist, but he essentially taught Stephen Miller how to launder racist ideas and white supremacist ideas through the language of heritage and the language of economics and the language of national security in order to make it palatable to the mainstream, which is what you see, you know, him doing in the White House. Yeah. And both of them are Jewish, which, you know, a group that is has typically been on the receiving end of racism, which makes it all the more, frankly, for me, confounding. Tell us about Katie McHugh. Katie McHugh is an editor at the right wing blog Breitbart, who, while she was working there in her early 20s, was told that Stephen Miller, who at the time was communications director for Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, she was told that Stephen Miller would be shaping her coverage for Breitbart. And he starts to pump her with white nationalist and white supremacist literature and articles that he encourages her to write stories about, particularly a website called American Renaissance, which is a white supremacist website that publishes misleading and completely false crime statistics painting black and brown people as innately more violent than white people, which is a common recruiting strategy among white supremacists. And so he was pumping Katie McHugh with these articles and she began to, you know, really become radicalized in white supremacist ideas. She eventually leaves Breitbart and and abandons the white supremacist movement when she realizes how violent and how dangerous it is. And she shares her emails with the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this is how people have been able to connect the dots in large part between what Stephen Miller is doing and the white nationalist and white supremacist literature that he's consulting and pulling ideas from. I mean, in my reporting for the book, it's clear that his immigration policies come directly from think tanks that were funded by eugenicists who believe in population control for non-white people because they believe in the genetic superiority of whites. But Katie McHugh, I mean, she was radicalized at a very young age by Stephen Miller and eventually clawed her way out of that movement and, and tried to, you know, atone for her actions by sharing her emails with Stephen Miller with the public. So Donald Trump comes along. He's got a history of, you know, his father was a racist. His father was arrested at a Klan rally in New York. When he was a young man, he, when he was working for his dad, whenever black people would apply for entrance to rent one of Fred Trump's properties, Donald would write the letter C for colored on the application, which would mean that they would never be considered for the rental. And he was sued by the federal government, in fact, for this and, you know, did not win that lawsuit, although he did not admit guilt. 
And so we've got a guy, you know, with racist proclivities uh, calling for the death of the Central Park Five, all this sort of thing. Innocent people of color who were charged with beating and raping a woman. And he meets Stephen Miller. Does Stephen Miller turn up the volume for Trump? Does he change his worldview? Does he solidify it? Does he anchor it? Yeah, I mean, Stephen Miller, because he is an ideologue and an extremist, and he has this incredible work ethic that Donald Trump does not have. I mean, Donald Trump is primarily motivated by self-interest. And Stephen Miller actually believes, I mean, he's a fanatic. He believes that he is somehow saving the United States by systematically harming communities of color. And so he stays up late into the night. He has this incredible discipline and work ethic that nobody else in the White House has because of his extremism. So Stephen Miller has brought these ideas to the White House that Trump, you know, he had this emotional racism already, but Stephen Miller showed him how to systematically harm communities of color, slashing refugee admissions to record lows, completely obliterating the asylum system at the U.S.-Mexico border, restricting green card access. All of these policies are things that Trump would not have thought of on his own. I mean, his only real immigration proposal before Miller joined was the border wall. And immigration restrictionists kind of rolled their eyes at that. They knew that we've had, you know, hundreds of barriers along the border and they've done very little to actually stop immigration flows. And it wasn't until Miller started pulling policies from these think tanks funded by white supremacists that, you know, people started to realize that the Trump administration would mean a real decrease in overall immigration flows, primarily targeting families, families from Latin America, families from Africa, in most cases, who have broken no laws, because this is not about national security for Stephen Miller. This is about re-engineering the demographic flows of people into this country to keep brown and black families out. Right. And we should acknowledge that up until the 1960s, when Lyndon Johnson changed them, correct me if I'm wrong, our immigration policies favored European countries, white people, basically, and disfavored black people. Uh, yes, do I have that right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Gene, you have written a brilliant book. And to everybody listening or watching, Hate Monger by Gene Guerrero. I started reading this book Saturday morning, and I couldn't stop. I wasn't done until late Sunday, but it's brilliant. Gene Guerrero, the book Hate Monger, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, and the White Nationalist Agenda. Gene, thanks so much for dropping by and for writing this book. Thank you so much. Tom Hartman program. Thank you. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Hey, I just wanted to share. I'm I'm really scared that Trump is going to win based on personal observation and also what he's been doing to manipulate the markets. It's not just the stock market. It's also real estate market by, even though it's a good thing, by having a moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. You know, those, I think evictions were $4 million a year. I don't know what the rate of foreclosure Yeah, the moratorium was. expired at the first of this month, you know, David. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying it, it's artificially pumped up real estate prices, that and also the low rates. Right. And um, from my observation, suburban women, you know, they do see the demonstrations as riots and they fear for their safety, you know, which is really being well right. done by the Republicans. And also my own personal experience, I remind myself I live in a blue state. I had to leave a job back in January because all I said was that Colin Kaepernick was a great American. Now, maybe this was before Floyd Mayweather, but I was shocked. I mean, I actually had to leave. One person told me I should leave the country. So I really because think why? his base is a lot stronger than we think they are. Oh, yeah. And just in the swing states, there are, I think the number that was identified, there was a great piece on this over the weekend, might have been published at 536. But in any case, it was an analysis of voters who support Trump, who would have voted for Trump four years ago, but just didn't show up four years ago, and who could show up this year, probably won't. But if he can get them cranked up enough, they will, he will. And in the five major battleground states, it was eight million people. And, you know, easily enough for him to win every single one of those states. And that's his strategy, David, is a total base strategy. He doesn't care about people in the middle. He doesn't care about, uh, you know, getting disaffected Democrats. His goal is to find every last racist and hate monger in America and get them to the polls. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. 
Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, back in the 1930s, there was this weird guy in Germany who had a little mustache, and he said things like, if you wish the sympathy of the broad masses, you must tell them the crudest and most stupid things. Tell a lie loud enough and long enough, and people will believe it. It is a quite special secret pleasure how the people around us fail to realize what's really happening to them. The greater the crime perpetrated by the leadership, the less likely it is that the people will ever believe their leaders to be capable of perpetrating such event. Oh, and this is the final one. I wanted to get to the science behind this. The receptivity of the masses is very limited. Their intelligence is small, but their power of forgetting is enormous. In consequence of these facts, all effective propaganda must be limited to a very few points and must harp on these in slogans until the last member of the public understands what you want him to understand by your slogan. Now, he was not unique in saying these things. Colo Machiavelli uh, laid out basically the same stuff. We've seen this over and over with a number of people throughout the years in various countries and in some ways here in the United States. But I wanted to, to dig into the science of this sort of rhetoric and where we go with this. On the line with us is Dr. Bandy Lee, the assistant clinical professor at the Yale School of Medicine, a forensic psychiatrist at the Yale University Medical School, co-founder of the World Mental Health Coalition, editor of a new book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 27 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess the President. The website for that book is dangeruscase.org. Dr. Bandy Lee's Twitter handle is bandyxlee1. Dr. Lee, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. I'm curious your thoughts on the Republican Convention 
And Donald Trump going now to Wisconsin over the objections of the governor and the mayor and how this all yes. fits into one coherent way of essentially communicating a particular political philosophy to people. The Republican National Convention was quite spectacular. And it was most notable to me in terms of the visuals, the sounds, and the presentation. It was very carefully thought through, coordinated, and orchestrated. And it was very clear that there was a certain kind of psychological shaping of those who would view it was in mind. The Republican Party in general is far more sophisticated in this way than the Democrats are, and it certainly played out during the convention. What I thought about in terms of the dangers of this is the very nomination of someone in the first place, someone who has actually, among us mental health professionals, we actually have done a full standardized mental capacity evaluation. And quite astonishingly, he failed every criterion. That means that there's almost no chance for his fitness for virtually any job. So you take someone who is incapable of almost any job, and certainly of the presidency of the United States, and charging him with trying to reobtain the highest office in the land, this is a very dangerous arrangement. I think it's important to note that the violence in the streets is certainly not coming from protesters, and not even entirely from police officers instigating it, but from the mind of the person in the Oval Office himself. This kind of influence on violence is actually far more pervasive than the most overt kinds of violence. I've studied this my entire career. My area of expertise is in violence prevention. And we find that the more hidden forms of violence are actually are the deadliest and the most worrisome. So one person hitting another is not as dangerous as someone of greater influence stoking violence, inciting it, then creating a culture of violence, I would say, is the most dangerous kind of all, and fueling the divisions and creating greater danger. Dr. Lee, when a leader speaking the way that Donald Trump is right now, essentially tearing society apart, pitting people against each other, and using multiple opportunities to do it. I mean, Trump is tearing people apart with regard to masks, you know, as well as with regard to guns and, and protests right. and everything else. When such leaders have emerged, whether it was Pinochet in Chile or whether it was Hitler in Germany, the more obvious example, I suppose, Mussolini in Italy, Franco in Spain. Now in the modern day, we're seeing this with Modi in India, Bolsonaro in Brazil, Duda in Poland. The list goes on and on. In almost every case, it seems that they actually succeeded in tearing people apart and, and pitting people against each other in their countries so effectively that they were able to walk into the gap that was, a, you know, of governance that was essentially created by the chaos and the hate and the anger. Um, how best should a people and a political party or politician, I'm thinking obviously the Democrats and Joe Biden, respond to this? Well, it's very difficult if you do not bring mental health into the picture. When we have a serious situation like this, and I have emphasized that we're not talking about clinical psychiatry or mental health here, we're talking about public mental health, that is a little different. So we're not treating the president, we're not uh, diagnosing him. We are responding to our public health duty our responsibility to society, which we have equally uh, as we do to patients. And, when, uh, and the evaluations that are important to this are dangerousness and unfitness. Um, and we have done those evaluations very rigorously with the highest quality data. Uh, they do not require personal examination. So understanding... Yeah, I, I, Dr. Lee, forgive the, forgive the, the interruption. Yeah. We just have... We just have 30 seconds till we're going to hit a hard break here. Oh, okay. Is this, is, is Donald Trump's mental illness contagious? It, it seems is. like it. Yes. How? Uh, in fact, it's a very astute observation. 
because many of us in our individual-oriented society like, uh, like to think that we have full control of our minds. But uh, in fact, mental symptoms can be more contagious than other forms of infectious disease, such as coronavirus or Ebola, because you do not require physical contact or exposure. You only require emotional bonds. And this is the natural expected result of having a severely mentally impaired person in an influential position such as president. Dr. Bandy Lee, Yale School of Medicine, uh, dangerouscase.org is the website for the book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Dr. Lee, thanks so much for dropping by. Mike in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Hey, Mike, you're at the epicenter. How are things going? Well, it's uh, very challenging times, but I will tell you uh, there's good and bad. The good is that the community's coming together like something I've never seen. Uh, the bad is it seems like the right wing media is doubling down on Trump and in those policies, especially now that they've announced that there's a good chance that he's going to be uh, visiting our fine community tomorrow, despite the overall pushback from the local officials saying, no, it's just wrong place, wrong environment. You had mentioned how frazzled many of your neighbors and your friends are. You know, that's certainly the case here. And I think the number one reason why we're becoming more frazzled is typically in these scenarios to where there's been tragedy of some sort. Leadership comes in and has its calming statements and tries to soothe the tensions of the people. In this case, they're ratcheting it up, and it's such an oddity that it just amplifies the angst that we all feel. You know, we continue to see the trajectory is trending in the wrong direction. Instead of reconciliation and things along that nature, we see amplification, and it's such an odd thing. And I'll tell you one other thing very quickly, and that is the media reported that 175 people have been arrested and of the 175 people, they've come from 44 different cities. You add that to the over 5,000 conservative calls to action on Facebook. The conclusion is from not only myself, but many of the business owners that I've talked to, is these are unwelcome agitators, you know, young people that have way too much time on their hands and they're looking for something to do. And unfortunately, they won't take civics and get involved in their local communities. They think the thing to do is to be rubble rousers in another community. And it's very difficult, certainly for us lay people to observe and certainly get our minds wrapped around. But I'll tell you that we're all very, very concerned that if the president comes in Kenosha, Nothing but bad is going to happen. He's certainly not going to be coming here promoting civil rights and peace and equity. There's no way. That's un-Trump. I think well, there's a real strategy here, Mike. I yes. keep pointing out, or I have been pointing out for three years, that when Barack Obama was running for re-election, Donald Trump repeatedly tweeted that Obama was going to start a war at any old time because having a war is the best way to guarantee your own re-election. It's what Ronald Reagan did with Grenada. It's what George Herbert Walker Bush did with, with Iraq didn't work out for him because he only did it for three days. But, you know, he had his war and his son pointed out had that war continued up until the election, his daddy would have won re-election, but he didn't. And in fact, George W. Bush Jr. told his biographer in 1999, Mickey Herskowitz, that when he became president, he was going to have a war with Iraq that would last until the next election so that he would get himself re-elected. So this is Republican orthodoxy, you know, that you've got to have a war to get re-elected. And, and you could argue Democratic as well. You know, Lyndon Johnson getting involved in Vietnam during his first term in office. And what is starting to strike me with horror is the idea that Donald Trump, he obviously believes this, he, he was projecting it on Barack Obama, that Donald Trump is trying to start a war right now. But it's not what we were thinking up until two, three months ago. We were all figuring, oh, he's going to try and have a limited war with maybe with a wink and a nod with Russia for U.S. soldiers who were injured in conflict with Russian soldiers in Syria last week. But, you know, Trump's not making anything of that. So that's not going to be the war he wants to have. We thought maybe China, you know, they are getting very belligerent toward our Navy. 
But I don't think that's the war he wants to have. We, we thought about Iran, but he apparently just wanted to kill that one guy so he could brag about it at the RNC. Increasingly, it's looking like the war that Donald Trump wants to have to get himself reelected is a war right here in the United States of Americans against Americans, which is, you know, literally what you call a civil war. And that is the thing that troubles me so much, Mike. Yes, Tom, I, I couldn't agree more. And let, let me just add one more thing. You know, I think it was Fox News that said Obama was declaring war on some something like 120 different things, including Cheerios, if you can believe it. So, you know, with the right wing machine backing up a highly aggressive, mentally ill leader, boy, oh boy, hold on. It's going to be a rough ride. my Yeah. We've got another, what, four months, five months until January 20th. And I'm telling you, after the election, it's going to get even wilder. Mike, thank you for the call. The Oregonian, our local newspaper here in Oregon, is reporting that a fellow has been arrested, or at least is the major suspect. I'm not sure if he's been arrested yet, or if they're just looking for him. 47-year-old white guy, he's a former vet, as in, you know, a veteran, a military veteran. You know, has a long history of weird getting into trouble, not fitting in with his family or society, kind of being on the edge stuff. In other words, probably a guy who has some serious mental issues. I mean, who else would shoot and kill somebody unless they felt like they themselves were actually being threatened? I, and I think that, you know, on both sides here, not, not to sound like Donald Trump too much, but I think I'm on, certainly on the, on the hard right, and, and occasionally you're going to see this on the left as well. Um, you will have individuals who are not mentally stable, who are being whipped into a frenzy by Donald Trump and his rhetoric just to try to get himself reelected. He doesn't care how many people die on either side. The more, the better. It's just like with the coronavirus. I mean, people are freaked out because of this deadly virus. There's 180,000 of us dead. We're heading for 200,000 dead Americans by election day. And in the midst of this, you got Donald Trump trying to stir up hate. This is very troubling. Rachel in Minneapolis. Hey, Rachel, what's up? Hey, uh, first of all, calling from Minneapolis, I'm sure you know that I can uh, attest to what you're saying about people being on edge and uh, just ready to snap for a myriad of reasons. You know, most recently we've had the looting in response to a man dying and people thought it was due to the police and it was not. And it's just it's just ongoing chaos. My background is also in forensic psychology. Unfortunately, the propaganda that Trump uses, as you said, is very similar to the propaganda tactics that Hitler used. And they're very powerful and they work. And I think that maybe the left needs to get a little better at using what is known as happiness psychology, learning what drives people, because Trump is using a combination of fear but also joy and contentment. I hear all these people saying, how can these Trump supporters believe this? You know, how can they, how can they believe him? And they believe him because it makes him feel good. I mean, if I could wake up today and believe that coronavirus was a hoax, that would be great. I'd love to believe that. You know, so it's like they do what feels good. You know, if you're angry and you feel like you can go out and join a militia or go out and shoot someone and take care of the problem, that makes you feel good. So we need on the left to go back to kind of like what makes people feel good in a positive way. We were successful with Barack Obama with the whole hope and change thing. That worked. But I think another thing we need to do is recognize our heroes. And that's something that I try to do every day. I go on Facebook and I find stories about local heroes who, you know, did things that helped for the greater good. And I post and I say, this is my hero of the day. And I think that if the left would go more towards that, more people would want to be on the Democratic and left side. Okay. And Rachel, thank you. That's interesting perspective. I want to ponder that before I get into an extensive response to it. Johnny in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Johnny, what's up? I take no joy in saying what I'm about to say because you probably know it's already. We had a conversation like this maybe a year ago. But as far back as the summer of 1985, uh, my ears, my my red flags, the hairs on the back of my neck started going up. You remember the uh, Operation Dare during Reagan's administration for police? Operation I Dare, D A R E. An anti-drug no. message, but it was that was the, the the guys for it. And uh, 
those kind of programs and other things in the media and in the movies started getting me really worried about um, the militarization of police and also the infiltration of law enforcement in general by right-wing ideology. As a matter of fact, uh, it wasn't until the summer of 2002, several months after 9-11 happened, where I went on, uh, back then, what was social media, what I considered social media, uh, on MSNBC, on their post streams, and I started warning people about uh, right-wing infiltration of our law enforcement I also warned my fellow volunteers at Pacifica Radio in Houston that we need to be uh, start being aware of infiltration of our volunteer groups. And I set forth simple things that we should do, like, uh, you know, the way the U.S. Marines do. They have these tight groups of, of their infantrymen, so they know exactly who they are. So you accept people that you've known from grade school and high school, and anyone else you keep an eye on, a close eye on, and you live there access to various things. But now, because we've allowed this to go checked like a bunch of weeds, it's going to take more than just voting in November. We're going to actually have to be prepared to physically confront those bullies in the streets if and when they emerge. Otherwise, it's not going to get any better. It's going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I just hope it's not too late. I don't think it's too late, Johnny. I do think that we need healing rather than having gasoline poured on this fire. Uh, Donald Trump is absolutely committed to pouring the gasoline. I, uh, you know, my hope is that he gets soundly defeated in November and that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can come in and heal the wounds of this nation. But it's going to be damn hard, the damage that he has done. And yes, you were concerned back in the 80s. Mikey Weinstein, probably getting back on, his son was in the Air Force Academy some years ago, a decade or so ago, and he was exposed to all this hardcore right-wing racist stuff under the guise of Christianity. He wrote a book about it, uh, you know, brought the issue up. The infiltration of the military and the police by white supremacists has been going on for a while. Just wanted to share with you what the uh, chief of police of Kenosha, Wisconsin, said. This was two years ago, but I think it summarizes the thinking probably of a lot of police officers around the country. He said, I'm to the point where I think society has come to a threshold where there are some people who aren't worth saving. We need to build warehouses to put these people into and lock them away for the rest of their lives. Let's put them in jail. Let's stop them from truly at least some of these males going out and getting 10 other women pregnant and having small children. Let's put them away. At some point, we have to stop being politically correct. I don't care what race, I don't care how old they are. If there's a threshold that they cross, these people have to be warehoused, no recreational time in jail. We put them away for the rest of their lives so the rest of us can be better. End quote. Meanwhile, John Dean is talking about caravans of Trump voters. He said Trump is eagerly, eagerly trying to stir up racial animus and conservative hate for Black Lives Matter so as to distract from his failures on the coronavirus. He says, I think it's a play out of the Nixon playbook. I agree. I agree. Kevin in Durham, North Carolina. Kevin, what's on your mind today? I'm an African-American. I just want to say how sick I am of the double standards and, you know, with race and policing and what we're willing to condemn and what we're willing to justify. You know, you had this black guy who was shot seven, eight times for what? Walking to his car and trying to get into his car. And then you have the 17 year old who was out there with a gun, not old enough to carry a gun, first of all. Then he drives to another town in another state, out on the streets with a gun, kills two people, the same police department. They don't shoot him. They don't kill him. They let him, they wave him right on by. No, they gave him a bottle of water and said, we're glad you're here. Literally. Yeah. and I I mean, mean, it was before he shot that, those people, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, you got these armed so-called militias who are literally working with the police. And now you got these right wingers who are literally celebrating this guy and justifying what he did, calling it self-defense. Meanwhile, I remember a 17-year-old named Trayvon Martin, who apparently, according to them, didn't have the right to self-defense. You know, I'm just sick of it. I'm so sick and tired of the double standards. Black people, all we've ever asked for is equality. We're not looking for revenge. We're not trying to take anything away from you. We just want equality. That's it. 
And black people yeah. see this stuff over and over and over again. And you wonder why we're angry. That's why. Yeah. When the day comes that black parents no longer have to instruct their children about how to react to the police, then we'll know that we've moved ahead. But that day, I think, is a ways down the road. Kevin, thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective with us. I, I truly appreciate it. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom, I wanted to make a comment on uh, these racist organizations trying to infiltrate state apparatus or state organs, state, whatever you want to say, organizations. And recent news in the intelligence community, I want to connect them. Because, all right, like I said, I spent 25 years in the intelligence community, and I had an encounter, a very close contact encounter with a group of racists in the special forces community when I was in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Now, it, it didn't work out well. Because, all right, look, you can kind of say they won because I'm no longer in the intelligence community, but I retain my freedom, all right? I'm not easily deceived. I mean, it's not impossible. I do make mistakes, but I'm not easily deceived. And that's, But without getting into that, I just wanted to say that a president, this is an axiom of mine, a president that can classify or declassify anything he or she wants and a president that is outside the considerations of the framework of law is not a president we have got to keep that in mind and it is incredibly important because recently um so dave are you you saying that donald trump is not acting as a president he's acting as a dictator or a strong man or some other word Yes, and he's using white supremacy. Yes, and he's using white supremacy as a vehicle to, 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 to amass more power. And this white supremacy, like you so skillfully said, um, you know, there are people that are victims of white supremacy that they are okay with white supremacy. And the reason why that is is because there's this philosophy behind it that is saying, look, if you mention racism, you are a racist. Like, I know all kinds of conservatives that say Tom Hartman is a racist. Okay, and some of them are not white, right? and they think you are a racist. And but they are conservative in American politics, and it's because of this ideology that if you even mention it, you are racist. Remember Adolf Hitler when he condemned Jewish bankers abroad to the UN. He said if they interfere with the new Reich's economy, they are not immune. What he was saying was there is an economic aspect to all this, okay? And, and as far as the intelligence community and Radcliffe goes, Radcliffe said that he is no longer doing oral briefings to the intelligence community. He is doing individual. Well, the reason— To the, to the members that, of the House and Senate who are on the intelligence committees, right? Adam Schiff they're and just sending them, now, They're just sending them written reports. And that, and that was where sometimes the, the members of Congress would get their best information. They'd get some, you know, bland report that says, you know, it looks like we've got a problem here. And they'd say, well, exactly where is this? Well, uh, it looks like it's actually Joe Blow. Oh, really? Joe Blow, huh? Uh, foreign Joe Blow, of course. Back to you, Dave. Yes, this information right now in this moment of time it is absolutely imperative that is it, that information is interrogated in a collective forum, not individual, because there are a lot of things, and Trump supporters have seen it, Tom. There are a lot of things going on that are, are not legit. They are not copacetic. They are an information operation. And Trump supporters are only catching bits and they're only catching bits and pieces and using it for their own political purposes. But the bottom line is, uh, like all right, even Adam Schiff said that, um, you know, he said something that I did not know. He, he said over the weekend that uh, U.S. and Russian convoys have come into contact. And you just said that there has been injuries. And that's important in Syria. That's important. But I was focused on Turkey and their confrontation with Greece and France in the Greek economic exclusion zone. Look, Turkey is a NATO country, but unfortunately they have fallen into the orbit of the Shanghai Cooperative, which is Moscow and Beijing. Ankara does not recognize these economic exclusion zones, okay? They are going to explore for materials. Now, because Donald Trump has decided to pursue an isolationist racist policy, He's left a vacuum there. France is going to fill it. France has confronted Turkey. So long story short, rather than occupy all your time with you know my, my knowledge, look, here's the long story short. What Trump has created is a monster that is going to get out of control. 
and it's going to put everybody at peril, including Trump supporters. Their lives are in absolute peril. If they had any sense of self-preservation, they would vote against Donald Trump. And the reason why I say that is because you know as an anti-war activist, war at the end of the day is a business. Now, what do you want mm. your business to be? Do you want your business yeah. to well, be? I, I, would, I would say also that the reason, the main reason why Donald Trump is, is you know, um, bending over and kissing Erdogan's butt every time Erdogan says he wants something, whether it's that he wants to slaughter the Kurds or he wants to form an alliance with the Russians or whatever it may be, is because Donald Trump has two hotel properties in Turkey and Erdogan has publicly threatened to take away his money, to nationalize those properties. Immediately after Erdogan made that threat, Trump was like, oh, whatever you want, Mr. Erdogan. Yes, no problem. So anyhow, Dave, thanks for your call. What a day, huh? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Phil in Milwaukee. Hey, Phil, what's on your mind today? Is this what we're going to see moving forward is loopholes? Uh, you know, like, like Trump has found every loophole that there is. And uh, I think I think if he gets reelected, Phil, he's going to dispense with the loopholes. He's just going to uh, say, you know, as he's already said, you know, he doesn't care. And, and, you know, Kellyanne Conway came up right out and said, you know, basically the more blood there is in the streets. I mean, she didn't say it exactly this way, but the more blood there is in the streets, the better it is for Donald Trump, because he's campaigning on the idea that all that blood in the street is Joe Biden's fault, because Joe Biden used to be the vice president with a black president. And he's the guy who started all this. 
That's actually the narrative that you will hear from some of these white racist right, 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 right wingers. It was a black president who set all this up. He's the one who brought out, you know, it's a quack, quack, quack. I think if he gets another term, it's all over. It's game over. I don't think he's going to get another term, but, you know, God only knows. I mean, he's actually polling ahead of where he was when he was up against Hillary Clinton right now in some places. Chris in Oakland, California. Hey, Chris, what's up? I think there's something really possibly hopeful and magnetizing about voting against Trump and for Biden and Harris in this election. It's a chance for white people to stand up and show what they're for and what they're against. I love this line, a vote is not a Valentine's Day card. It's a chess move. And if people want to couch that in lesser of two evils terms, that's fine. We can stand up together, and that's going to mean something very much like when we elected Barack Obama. You're absolutely right, Chris, and this, uh, an awful lot is going to turn on this. I expect to see a lot more of that. But, you know, is, is it time to panic financially? I don't think so. Um, I do think that probably we're going to see the dollar continue to, to decline. I think that some of the tech stocks like, uh, you know, Amazon and Apple are probably going to continue to increase. And I think that you're going to see as the dollar goes down an increase in the value of gold and some other commodities. But, you know, don't take investment advice, advice from me because I screw things up all the time investment wise. Um, but that's what I think is going to happen. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, as we move toward the beginning of early voting just a few weeks down the road and an election just a couple months down the road. We are close. We are within the shadow of the eclipse here, as they say. So get out there, get active, and double-check your voter registration. Peg, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. Say something nice to say. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 